Because you know there's a handful of people actually run everything. That's true. It's provable. I'm not it's all about not. control. To them we just cattle. Numbers battling each other while they're creeping in the shadows. Scheming, plotting, clocking your every move. Locked in your mind, brainwashing till it's rocking. Got the population operating as they want them. Symbolically mocking them, thinking nothing can stop them. So open your eyes to the lies of the evil. The poison in the minds and the lives of your people. And every time they lead you down the line to deceive you. And by then, it's always too late to see. Through the veil that they hide behind Cause your third eye is blind Better take a stand We running out of time Ain't nobody coming to save us Fuck what you had in mind Arm yourself with the truth And jump behind the battle line Can we turn it around? Yeah, it's possible Divide a little more fool But united world This is for the world This is for the masses Attached to the strings Being pulled by puppet masters This is for the youth Searching for the proof Keep on looking for the clues I'll provide you with some truth This is for the ones Waking up from the spell Beginning to discover themselves Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is James Cordner, and you are watching A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth, hopefully on OneGreatWorkNetwork.com or FreeYourMindAny.com. If you'd like to join the chat, come on over to FreeYourMindAny.com forward slash live. You can hop in the chat there, or you can watch on Odyssey for sure. We'll never be censored over there. So, um, with that being said, I do have my regularly scheduled weekly housekeeping to do. So we're going to do that now. And hopefully, here we go. Okay, this is a drawing that my son did. And I wanted to share this all. I wanted to share this with all of you this week because he's awesome. And that's his, uh, that's the family portrait. So there. And now we have some other stuff to go over all right so coming up in september we have the freedom under natural law conference funnel two and that's going to be on september 10th and 11th 2022 this time around is called 
as a uh, subtitle. It's called Convergence, Unity, Focus, Action. An amazing lineup of speakers, a couple of which are going to be at the Shattering the Illusion conference, and one of which is joining me tonight. His name is Brandon Martin. We're going to bring him in in a second. So we have Shattering the Illusion. Uh, that's the conference that Joe Murray and I are co-organizing. And as you can see, it's a one-day online event about natural law, true anarchy, consciousness, mind control, and the occult. That's going to be on September 24th, 2022. We have an amazing lineup of speakers at this conference as well. We have Chris Jansen, Ivan Oyola Jr., myself, James Cordiner, Jennifer Rose, Joe Murray, Mark Devlin, Mark Passio, Nathan Redette, Sean McCann, and Will Keller. Uh, Diesel Automatic is going to be uh, featuring Joe Murray on a brand new track dedicated to the conference. And everything else that you want to learn about the conference, you can find it at shatteringtheillusion.info. So go on over to that website and check out everything else that you need to know about this amazing conference. And uh, yeah, uh, that's all I got to do for the for the housekeeping um, items for this evening. Uh, but I do want to address one problem before I bring the guest in. And it's not usually like me to do this these days, but I, I still got to do it. Like, I just want to let everybody out there that watches this show know that this is uh, my show. And I'm going to do it the way that I like to do it. I'm going to do the housekeeping each week the way that I like to do it. However repetitive some people that watch this show find it to be. I'm not trying to drive away viewers because I want people to find value in the information that I and my guests are putting forward each week, but not every episode is the same. And I do not have a start from episode one type of podcast. Each guest brings an audience of their own with them each week. That is why I choose to go over the same housekeeping each week because there are new people watching the show each week. So there, that's about as much explanation that I even have to give, if I even have to give any of it at all. I do not like to have to come out and speak this way to people that like watching the show or give me a chance to help them learn something new. But um, the criticism or the advice does not fall on deaf ears, but it's not needed. So take it somewhere else. Uh, with that being said, I would like to bring in my guest now. So we are joined by Brandon Martin tonight. Brandon, dude, what's going on, man? I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that we're getting to meet and we get to talk about some crazy cool stuff, man. What's up? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for the honor of being able to come onto your show. I've been really enjoying everything that you've been putting out there, especially the episode of Mark and all the work you've been doing before that and, you know, shattering the illusion conference. That's looking really amazing. Uh, I thought it was interesting, kind of synchronistic that uh, I did. My last presentation was called sight beyond illusion. And every time I read that, it kind of reminds me of that. And I'm like, hell yeah. You know, I really get excited about that. Um, but yeah, I'm real excited to be here. Uh, it's great. And it's really nice to finally to meet you and finally talk to you. Dude, the pleasure, the honor is all mine. For real, like it's all it's all on this side of the of the screen tonight, because like, dude, um, before we really begin, like your background with, you know, I don't want to talk about this all night, you know, but I, I just want to make sure that I, I say that your background and your your father and Skatopia and everything um, for a long time, it kind of 
breathe it like was breathing hope into my world because i grew up skateboarding and kind of getting pushed around a little bit because of it in the area that i grew up for some reason there were older kids that you know would call me uh terrible names and do and like kind of beat me up a little bit and they'd break my skateboards and stuff and and i remember back when um there was the show viva la bam and they went to skatopia and it was like back like 2004 or 2005 or, or like way back then and i saw skatopia for the first time and then when 88 acres of anarchy the documentary came out and uh your father was kind of explaining the idea behind skatopia it sounded like like a safe haven for skateboarders but you come there and just like skateboard and help take care of the property and do your part and like you know kind of just uh I, at one point in time, wanted to go out and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll be cool there. Like, all I have to do is skateboard and not kill anybody. And, and I'll be cool there, you know, basically. Right, you know? right. So, uh, and it was one of the first times I really ever heard about anarchy. Um, hmm. and, and however uh, much of an understanding as it pro was providing for me at the time, it was one of the first times in my life back in back in the day like over like 15 years ago now uh that i ever really heard about anarchy and what it really kind of is in in one respect um not so much all of the philosophical enlightening uh, parts of it where you know what what kind of hard work really goes into it but um kind of more of a praxis of it if you will mm -hmm. where you're actually living in in the light of of an anarchist kind of you know compound <laughs> and it was it was eye-opening and i i uh i don't know i wanted to kind of thank you for for what you do with skatopia these days even as hard of a job as it might be and i wanted to like through you uh kind of give thanks to bruce where, uh, wherever he is today which uh we don't have to get into that but i know you covered that at one point but um yeah the, just thank you for for everything that you do you know so oh you're very welcome and i'm sure bruce would be to hear that as well you know um it's a really interesting for me you know i came up in the punk community i came uh you know just traveling around the world living in cars surfing the cow you know, going to skateboard competitions going to shows i got to see gg allen before i was like seven or eight you know so <laughs> i was really involved in a lot of the underground and kind of uh, mid-level uh, areas of punk and, and skateboard industry. And, you know, growing up around that really gave me a, a perspective uh, in those areas, especially in the psychological realm of like what's going on with those types of freedom movements, right? And, you know, my dad kind of just uh, got together with a bunch of other skaters and then, you know, they wanted to get away from all the regulations all the order followers all the you know restrictions and oppression and they just wanted to be able to skate they just want to be able to live free and have their own place and not have people come and and cause any harm and you know uh, not be affected by the outside oppression as much as possible and that's kind of what he did and he kind of uh, you know eventually marketed that and turned it into skatopia and then you know like you said we got affiliated with viva la bam tony hawk came out uh we even had a few TV shows on Blue Torch, MTV, ourselves, um, like real TV, a bunch of stuff like that. And then they made the documentary. And the documentary was interesting because, uh, 
you know, it was a, it was a strange time period at that at that phase of Skatopia. It was like right in the middle of like where we're trying to find our footing with anarchism and like trying to keep the business going there in, in a certain way. Because um, it's pretty hard living out here. You want to be able to put out the knowledge of freedom you want to be able to live free, uh, but also you got to be able to make money at some level uh, the mind control money and so that you can do the things you want to do luckily most of our place was done by diy you know a lot of people came in they contributed they uh just wanted to donate they just wanted to help out and that's one of the cool things i learned there is that if you get out there and you do the work if you put it into action it's something my dad that was really, really still is good at. Uh, if you can get that community built and that trust built with the people, um, they will come and help. You know, they will get art helping. And um, that's kind of how Skatopia was developed, which is people coming in, donating, donating ramps, donating supplies here and there, donating their time. And as long as you came out and it's that way today, uh, just do no harm, you know, don't come out and start it. Uh, then you can come and do, you know, whatever you like, as long as you're not violating anybody. So it's uh, it's very interesting. And we just had an event, actually, um, just a few weeks back, and it was uh, really amazing. We had a really good lineup of bands, a lot of good people, and I think I've seen more authentic anarchists there than I ever have, actually. So it was really cool to see that. That's awesome, man. That's really uplifting that, like, you know, even through all the tough times, of having, because uh, I I was doing some research on on the on on the um, kind of the transfer of Skatopia from Bruce to you, and I was doing a little research. I, I found some interviews that 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 you guys took place uh, that you took part in, and uh, how you were trying to like rein it in a little bit to make it more of a um, uh, not so dangerous environment mm -hmm. where people could essentially you know you got to kind of rein it in a little bit you know because you don't want anyone getting extremely you know damaged or, or hurt out there um it helps smooth things over and keep things uh going for the long run if you can say hey don't light off fireworks in the barn stop lighting cars on fire and you know yeah. maybe cool it with the handguns uh, yeah absolutely you know, um one one of the things that i really worked at was trying to cut back the hedonism you know i was yeah. trying to cut down the hedonistic behavior and just have common sense understanding of decency and living in harmony with not you know just mm -hmm. living in harmony with objective morality and what i noticed is that most of the people that came there because of the fame that was taking place was that they were most mostly just like all of us at some level uh were very socially engineered to behave these ways because this is the way that uh, the image that has been programmed into their mind about what anarchy means, about you know what rebellion means in, in their own minds, and that's what they thought it actually meant, which is do whatever the whatever you want without any consequences. And it's like it's a, it actually counteracted what they wanted out there because they say they love the place, but then they do behaviors that destroys the place they. Live love or the community they love and then it's like what are you doing like this doesn't make sense so i had to grow up in that and i took a step back and i was like oh man like you know something has to shift there so you know dad is a tbi patient so um he 
you know, has a lot of psychological issues from that. It's like dealing with someone with shell shock, you know? And from there, I was like, well, I'll step in and try to do whatever I can to kind of cooperate and um, uplift the place. And I noticed a big, big sh shift, you know, from people who just wanted to come and be the uh, inauthentic anarchists just to burn cars and, um, you know, and do whatever the hell they want. Uh, but, and then next thing I know, it's like people coming back that it was like at the beginning. So they were coming back in and they, they just wanted to help build. They just want to skate. They just want to have a community. So it was really good. And we've always had a mix of those types of people, like really authentic people and, and then uh, inauthentic people. Usually the inauthentic came in during the times of the event. 90, 98% of the time, it's just a really chill atmosphere, just a farm, 88 acres, some animals out there growing some food, you know, it's like not much is actually going on out there most of the time. So um, it's not as thrilling as a lot of people might make it out to be from the, the media portrayal of it because everybody focuses on, you know, the events that take place, the bull bash and, and that stuff. So I've always had this uh, thing about the rumors that uh, have stirred up from it. It's like all that's going on out there all the time, you know, that's going on 24-7. And you, you couldn't sustain that. It's ridiculous, you know? No, like if I, you keep up with you on, like, Facebook <laughs> or some sort of social media or whatever, you see the pictures. It's like, no, you're, like, repairing half pipes and, and yeah. poles all the time. You're, like, tending to the land, like, making sure that it's, like, that it's livable and just living yep. your life out there. I, like, I see it all the time. I'm always like, this is awesome. Like, seeing it's like a behind the scenes kind of, you know, uh, kind of, you know, a little look, you know, a little looking behind the scenes kind of aspect of it all. It's, it's really interesting. It's like always, uh, puts a smile on my face when I see you out there with your, with your, your crew and you guys are like repairing a half pipe or, you know, or, or whatever, you know, it's like always fascinating to me. And it's like, this, like, okay, this is the real deal. It's not just like, Oh, uh, like, no, like true rebellion, it takes principles it takes mm -hmm. you know it it takes a, a firm understanding and you know to understand something we know like through like green language it's like you know you you understand it you you're going to live according to it you know and you stand true to your principles and you don't you don't slack on them i know plenty of uh supposed anarchists that have the uh burn the fucker to the ground mentality you know they listen to a little too much uh of the wrong kind of music or you know that against me song <laughs> teenage anarchist like in the whole chorus is just like don't you remember when you were young and you wanted to set the world on fire like but yeah i remember being 15 and being angry because everybody i knew let me down and i wanted to rebel and all this other you know all this other stuff i remember that but there comes a time to grow up and there comes a time to like take the next step which is kind of what we're here to talk about tonight which is you know the these pillars of enlightenment where we have the non-aggression principle we have the self-defense principle and maybe even some hidden ones in there i'm thinking about like care and you know all these different uh, all these different how they work together and i wanted to talk to you more about that because um of what you like it kind of makes sense with what you do out there to and i've seen your presentation material and I think that you are the perfect person to talk with to talk with about this uh, material. So um, why don't we change gears and just get into the 
to the heart of, of the topic tonight. What do you think? Sounds good. I'm ready. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right, let's take it away. I, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to start with, first of all, talking about the non-aggression principle, because um, to me, this is, this is one that at this day stage, at this point in time, I think we really need to try to help people understand uh, because of the amount of aggression that is out there. So uh, where do you always start with people when it comes to like the non-aggression principle? Because where I always start is it seems like we have to start talking to people about what their rights are, like what is right and wrong, because through that knowledge, you'll be able to kind of discern what acts are actually aggression. So you want your take on that? Take it away. Take as much time as you want. Yeah, I would say that we have to be able to start at the foundation of the epistemological understanding of truth. And then from there, once you can get it through to somebody what objective truth actually is, that it actually exists, that it is a discoverable thing in nature. And from there, then you can move on to morality. Because without having a foundation in truth, then morality can just be whatever. Maybe it's non-existent to them. Maybe they're amoral, or maybe they're more relativist. You know, maybe uh, they don't have any concept of that morals are actually an innate uh, um, function of behavioral consequences that take place with social transactions. So, yeah, I always start there with truth, and then I move forward into objective morality because um, most people don't even believe in truth. You know, a lot of people are solipsistic. This was what I talked about on the last podcast I did with Fred, um, and it was just a podcast, but most people believe that, or this modern, right? They're, they're postmodern idea that truth is just something changeable it's you know malleable it's mule so you can do whatever you want with it or there's no such thing as it at, at all and one thing about that is that it's a contradiction in the ideology first of all to say that it's true that there's no such thing truth is a contradiction and it doesn't hold up it's a self-defeating argument so if it's true that there's no such thing as truth then there actually is such thing as truth if it's true that there is such thing as truth then it is true uh, so no matter which way you go with, you end up back at truth. And I don't think people think about what they're thinking. You know, they don't think through. They're not conscious of their thought process. And they're just running with whatever programs they have coming from the subconscious level. And one reason why is because they get away with whatever they want with their behaviors, right? They want to do whatever they feel that they can get away with in society. And one thing about that is they don't want to accept responsibility for the consequences of dealing with the knowledge that there is such thing as objective truth and that there is such thing as objective morality, because then they have to take a look at themselves and say, oh, maybe I am the problem. Maybe I need to change myself. Maybe I need to do shadow work. Maybe I'm not, you know, as... Um, as good of a person as I perceive myself as, you know, by supporting and condoning acts of violence or just saying that they're, they're, uh, you know, irrelevant in, in society. But yet talk to people, you find out as you start to deconstruct this with them, you find out that they do believe in some forms of objective morality or objective truth. Um, for example, 
if you can talk to people about rape. And I do this all the time. I always bring up the rape concept. I say, do you think rape is universally a wrong? And 100% of the time I get, yes, universally a wrong. Well, that presuppositional idea there is based upon objective morality. It's universal. It's unchangeable. It doesn't matter what culture you're growing up in. doesn't matter time, location, or place that you're at. It has no, nothing to do with that. It's always universally a wrong. And uh, from there, you're like, okay, well, then that's an objective truth as well. So, you know, you kind of have to use some reverse psychology with people when it comes to um, getting through people because you're digging deep into subconscious programs that have been there. And I think that they're epigenetically wired into us. This is something that I point out a lot. I think slavery is epigenetically wired into us now, where that's why it's such a, a, a force that's so hard to deal with in people's minds because they have this environmental condition that we've been experiencing for tens of thousands of years, probably longer than that. And it's been, you know, epigenetically conditioning us accept that as a natural state of being. And that's why I think it's really, really hard to get through to people, even if they do have some semblance of, of, uh, of morality and some semblance of conscience, right? Um, so once I get through to them on that, then I start to move into rights and I move into what is a right, right? Because usually you'll always hear people talk about it and you'll hear, you'll hear people say, uh, well, here are my rights, right? And they'll list out people. And it gets it gets pretty ridiculous with that, obviously, because they don't even know what a right actually is. They they don't have the concept of what the right or wrong actually is. So from there, uh, once you can get through to them about what a right is, which is an action that does not cause harm to any sentient being, it does not violate liberties or freedoms of any other sentient being in the universe, no matter what sentient being it is, um, then I move into the pillars of enlightenment, which is, you know, like you brought up, the first pillar would be the uh, non-aggression uh, pillar. And that's something you find in the new age community, obviously, um, the non-aggression principle, right? So a lot of the people in the new age community got that right you know, they have that correct. They, they tend to, and that doesn't mean that everything there is correct, obviously, but they got at least that part right. But they lack on the other part, which we'll get to here, here in a minute. But I call it the first pillar, and many others have called it the first pillar uh, of enlightenment. And it's a sacred feminine pillar, you know, because it's, uh, it's the nonviolent, you know, uh, concept. So I also call it um, um, the, the, um, nonviolent principle, right? Because harm is kind of ambiguous. That term harm is kind of ambiguous. As a skater, I know that I can consent to harm. That's okay. But a lot of people take that as an absolute because like when I go skate, I'm going to get hurt when I skate, you know, like I do certain actions activities, I know that I'm going to uh, harm myself in that activity. So harm can be very ambiguous. That's why I like to use the word violence, because then we understand that it means means a violate somebody else's rights or liberties or somebody else's, you know, sovereignty. So the first pillar is the sacred feminine pillar of nonviolence. And this pillar states, do not initiate immoral activities, transactions, or behaviors towards other sentient beings. Do not initiate the non-rightful use of physical or violence to coerce, constrain, or manipulate the rightful, rightful physical behaviors or free will choices of other sentient beings. And 
in Freemasonry, this pillar happens to be uh, the Corinthian pillar, which is on the right side of the first degree tracing board. Um, and that happens to be the sacred feminine principle. So it has a lot to do with the heart-based care. You know, it has a lot to do with um, empathy, compassion, you know, knowing that you don't want to actually make somebody else or something else suffer with your behaviors. And that's a very, very important part. That's always want to start at you know that's the foundation is that we don't want to actually uh initiate any more suffering into the world we already have enough suffering in this world we don't need to contribute that in any way shape or form right <laughs> yeah we we definitely don't uh <laughs> which is, which is like something that i concentrate on a lot when uh when i talk to when i talk to people because it's it's something that it's almost like using uh, the Socratic method, you know, where you run through these paces with people and you're asking questions that lead them down the path to figuring it out for themselves. You know, it's 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 something that I find to be an extremely useful tool if done correctly. Um, mm -hmm. And something else that you said about clarifying ambiguity. Uh, is I find that extremely important as well because it it like I just said clarifying the ambiguity it just takes all of the confusion and the obfuscation right out of the picture where where you, you know something that I, I I disagree with some people on uh, as well not going to name any names but people that say the initiation of harm where it's I like how you're I like how you're defining it with no 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 the initiation of violence. Because that that word violence kind of creates a more visceral reaction in people, and they understand that more than harm. So when you're saying something like harm, well, what do you what do you mean harm? Like just being a jerk, you know? Harm. You could just say some harmful words, you know? Like you could call somebody some names. Yeah, that's kind of harmful, you know. You're gonna make someone go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like you're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> right. like you're gonna slam the door in some old lady's face entering the grocery store. Like you know, you didn't hurt her, but that's like you're just being an asshole. You know, like that. These things can be considered harmful, sure. But are you really? You're just being an ass. You know, but if you're initiating violence, now that creates a reaction in people's minds. Right. It does. Correctly defining things is extremely important. You know, because people like to do the mental gymnastics to see how much they can get away with. It's very simple. You know, it's a very simple way of like explaining the transgressions against natural law. And that's where the, that's the definition of violence. You know, you don't, you don't steal. Like we all know, we all know, you know, it boils down to the one, just don't fucking steal anything that can be equated with, with theft. Don't do it because that is, violence so it takes all of the it takes all of the ambiguity all of the obfuscation right out of the picture and you know that is where the uh that is where the, like the funneling of knowledge you know the the hard line of knowledge and when it comes to the non-aggression principle happens with people is being able to just adequately and effectively communicate the transgressions uh, against natural law to them is the explanation of violence and if they can just go oh yeah that makes sense i don't want to do anything like that and it's like okay then then live how you say you want to live 
that's the next step. And then it's like, well, what if somebody does that to me? Well, good news. <laughs> There's some good news on the horizon for you then because natural law also allows for you to take action when violence is happening. And that's the uh, sacred masculine principle of self-defense. That's the second of these pillars of enlightenment. Um, so this is a very important part. And the reason why, so the reason why, if anyone out there is wondering about masculine and feminine, why are they, wh why are we attributing these principles in a court in, in a court, like according to gender? Well, it's not really like male and female in the modern day, uh, kind of sense of gender. It's more of like a negative and positive type of way and not in a uh the connotation of good and bad it's negative and positive as in think of an electrical charge um negative being a grounding negative would be feminine which is grounding and positive would be masculine which is uh energizing the the aspect of which will that will get you up and to take action so that's where we're that's what we're talking about when we say positive negative masculine feminine grounding or initiating so action or grounding these these are the uh pseudonyms what would be the proper word Hom homonyms for for these uh or synonyms one of one of those synonyms. weird, weird yeah. uh you know grammatical type of, uh, <laughs> type of things but i i think that that's a very important part point to make because people mm -hmm. go oh, oh gender and it's like <laughs> right. no, no no it's about polarity here it's about positive yeah. and negative and that's where the, and it it all wraps up in into a nice little package with a neat little bow on top of it just for you to digest people out there listening but um the sacred masculine pillar of self-defense this is a very important thing to get back to the point that I was trying to make about this, because uh, this is where we run into the most issues, in my opinion. Now, people out there might not understand violence and how to and how to tell the difference between violence and something that you just feel uncomfortable with. Um, and that is a very easy thing to explain to people and to get them to understand. But the real terrible uh, truth of the world today is, is that the entire uh population in the aggregate on average has been defanged and doesn't know that we have the right to stand up and defend ourselves when faced with violence so the obfuscation of violence is is obviously terrible here but then we talk about uh even when you even when people see the violence happening they don't know how to stand up and defend themselves against it there's a certain a certain element of people being timid that comes to mind and being super submissive so you mentioned the new age bullshit you know and that uh that is probably the biggest reason why people are ultra submissive and not and not knowing of the aspect of self-defense because they don't teach that in the new age stuff. They'll teach the non-aggression principle until they're blue in the face, but they don't teach the self-defense principle because that's counterproductive to their entire satanic agenda. Absolutely. Um, I'm um, kind of taking it away here, but I'm going to, you're good. I'm going <laughs> to let you. That's great. <laughs> your take on it's, all that. It's great to hear somebody else come in with, uh, you know, some accuracy with the information. Um, I think you nailed 
nailed everything. Uh, you know, one of the things about the New Age movement is that they they confuse spirituality with passivity, right? So they think that all spirituality is just, you know, meditation, uh, just feeling good. You know, it, it becomes very hedonistic and it actually supercharges people's um, ego identification rather than actually um, um, in empowering them and empowering both of their internal energies, the sacred masculine and sacred feminine. So I, I I really like what you said about uh, the masculine and the feminine and how they're correlated to polarity. And it's not necessarily gender, which takes us back to uh, our physical gender, uh, which takes us into the hermetic principle of, of gender, right? And it's more of a mental or energetic form. And the the metaphor that you use there, the analogy you use there, I actually have used many times because I think one of the things that has happened along down our history is that we have this contextual confusion of semantics and we have this issue with uh, passion and symbolic literacy where when we hear negative, we immediately think evil. We think darkness. We go into primal fears. And then what's that also associated with? It's associated with femininity, right? So then we start to suppress the feminine aspects of ourselves, right? The animus in our subconscious. And we, and we, we completely demonize the sacred feminine principle. And this happens in men a lot where we're taught in culture that, you know, anything that happens to be uh, a feminine for a man to express is, you know, no. And I mean, that's changing now with everything that's going on, obviously, with the uh, the social engineering programs that are going on. But it's still not an authentic form of expressing your your divine, sacred, feminine energy. And so I want to back just real quick to the sacred feminine because. That's like the foundation of the pillar. Walked about what we were just laying out there about the non-violent principle. It's the lowest part of the pillar, you know. And, and then as you raise up the pillar, as you continue to build the pillar up and erect that pillar, you have more and more of those complexities of the psychological attributes that express themselves that are built upon that principle, that are built upon the sacred and divine femininity in yourself, you know? And it's one thing that a lot of people don't realize, um, that there, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of compassion, empathy has to be built there. Some of that is interconnected with the foundation of that, but also there's other things that are built from that, you know, like, uh, like relationships, social relationships, you know, intimate relationships, all kinds of stuff that goes on with that. Um, but yeah, I think that it's a contextual issue, right? And that contextual issue ends up being semantical um, in, in a lot of people's minds. So um, the semantical issues are that, um, you know, they confuse these terms. They obfuscate, they've been, these terms have been obfuscated so much that people confuse force and violence. And that's what I wanted to get to is the confusion between self-defense or the rightful use of force compared to the wrongful use of force, which would be violence, right? So that's a big issue. Uh, and that leads us into the sacred masculine pillar of self-defense, obviously, that you were bringing up. Everything okay? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, uh, I kind of got, I, I kind of lost track of, of my train of thought there. I'm sorry. Uh, just 
it's very unprofessional of me. Um, but yes, uh, the the uh, the the very you're right. The very bottom of it, and it all it all builds off of the off of itself uh, in the long run, and and it does. They intertwine, you know. So like leading into the sacred feminine, leading into the sacred masculine. It's like the the two constantly intertwine and play off of each other. And it's up to it's up to everybody to really kind of like find their own way. Um, this is the subjective part about it I, I, that I that I tend to, to to have to come to grips with is that it's up to everybody to find their own way and how how to recognize their own ability to act according to these principles. You know, because they don't they don't go away, uh, no matter how much you want. Like it's they they are eternal. You know, like you have the right to defend yourself, right? But you need to know when violence is happening to you in order to do so. Um, but, uh-oh. No, I'm trying to fix my camera. It froze. Sorry. That. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things that that was one of the things that made me uh, kind of distracted there for a second. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, sorry I'm very sorry. That. It's very disrespectful. I find it very disrespectful of myself. But I, I, your camera froze. I was like, I hope everything's okay. There um, we go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and, don't, hey. and don't mind my dogs. They're three, three wild huskies in nah. the living room back there. They're just gonna bark and play. You know. So. <laughs> They're wild. Perfect. It's perfectly yeah. fine. I'm not worried about it at all. So yeah, um, I saw your cat there too. I, I like that was a cute cat. <laughs> yeah, he's cool, man. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, yeah, but he, uh, well, I was gonna say, getting back on point here, the sacred masculine principle of self defense is so crucial for people to understand. And like you said, people uh, they they don't recognize if if they do recognize the violence taking place in their presence, they usually freeze. And it's like they're a deer in the headlights about to be hit by a car. You know, they just yeah. freeze up and they don't do anything. And it's because our parents and our culture has completely, you know, emasculated that part of us, completely diminished that part of us where we don't know how to properly engage in physical proper use of self-defense force when necessary. This is why I was so happy that my dad got me into martial arts at a young age. And, you know, most of us are, were into things like that at a young age anyways. But I actually went through training, you know, and it was uh, and it was an amazing thing because it teaches these principles. Martial arts teaches you these principles, not so brazenly or directly, but that's what their, their concept is, you know. And just to, you know, clarify here, the sacred masculine pillar of self-defense is the is the uh, what pillar is it? It's the Doric pillar on the Freemason masonry first degree tracing board so it would be on the left side so like you talked about it's it's the solar aspect so it's the positive energy right so it's the activation of that energy it's the expression into physical manifestation so this premise this principle is pretty much that any sentient being this is like the oldest law in creation for any sentient being that they have the right to defend their life their property whenever the wrongful use of force which is violence has been initiated against them so if they're being coerced if they're being restrained if they're being stolen from if their terms of violence is being conducted upon them then they have the right to actually initiate physical force to whatever degree that's necessary that means up to killing somebody to actually put them down and stop violence from taking place. So let's say I'm on the streets, right? 
and a thug comes up to me and he wants to steal my money, right? He wants to steal and he, he has a gun. He points the gun at my head or my body. And he's like, give me your wallet. I want all your money. Well, most people there would probably just opt out and give them the wallet. And is that a right? Yes, it is. That is your right to do so. If you want to just give them your wallet, give the thug your wallet, that's your right to do so, right? But you also have the right to let's say physically restrain that person if you're capable or let's say i got a gun and i'm quicker to the draw well you have the right to put him down in that situation and some people would be like oh you are so attached to material that you actually would you know that that you would just give over that property to that person when when they're threatening you with violence and it's like no 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 no. they are so attached to material that they put my life in jeopardy that they are the ones who are, you know, eagerly identified with that the materialistic aspect to that degree that they would actually put somebody else's life in jeopardy. Um, and at that point, it's like, okay, you know, uh, self-defense necessary. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, you can walk away from it if you want to. That's fine. But I'm the one who is attached to the material. I'm protecting my life. You know, I'm protecting my well-being because they're threatening my well-being, my life. It's not about the money. You know, it's about my life. They just threaten my life for material, for a piece of paper. That's how much they are attached to that material, you know. So, I, I always get a kick out of people when they're like, oh, you should have just walked away or whatever. I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, you can't keep doing that because what you do is you enable that activity. You're enabling that person to think that that's okay to continue to do that over and over and over, you know? And what do they do? They go out and they rob from the next person. They rob from the old lady. They rob from the store, you know? They go out and continue to initiate forms of violence onto people. So at some point, you got to put it down, you know? And the key word there is necessary. The amount of force that's necessary to stop that violence. So... I yep. think a lot of people miss that point, right? A lot of people think, oh, yeah. oh just kill them. Just kill anybody who comes up and punches you in the face. And it's like, no, no, no. The amount of force that's necessary to stop violence from taking place. Up to killing, yeah. you know? It's up to I'm each individual to discern for themselves how much, how much danger that they are in. And that takes right. a great amount of responsibility, you know, like get down to the green language of it, the responsibility. You know, and to be able to understand how much danger you are in and to meet whatever force you are being uh, or whatever violence you are being met with, you meet that with an equal or greater than amount in return to uh, kind of put a stop to the very least, put a stop to it. And this is where the ego is necessary, where the survival mechanism of our brain is necessary and is a good thing. You don't want to live there, but it's a but it's a part of you that can never be taken away, at least not naturally. And it's going to be something that comes in handy. Now, Satanists, they want to keep you there. You know, they want you to do nothing but live there. But we're talking about lifting yourself up to a, a point where you know when to access that part when to access the the survivalist the uh the self-preservation um part of your your being and you know 
we're not, I don't want to advocate anyone to just go off and start offing people every time they feel like they're being, you know, mistreated. That's why I think it's important to kind of kind of bring up the idea of equal, if not equal uh, force uh, being met with with um, with violence uh, because defensive use of force. And then there's like a coercive coercion, like the use of violence, you know, and held under a state of duress. Um, so these words, they they they're important to to be able to use uh, adequately to uh, use properly. Um Something that you said about about uh, you know the sacred masculine principle of self-defense. Um, I was going over in the past uh, couple months. I was actually you know uh, interested in learning more about your presentation material. So what I did was I went and I looked at your your blog on One Great Work Network, and I saw your fake ass punks um, presentation, and in there. You have a section about the epidisgenics agenda of about breeding out the rebels. And that has mm -hmm. brought to mind about the true masculinity. And nowadays they want to talk about it like it's toxic. They call it toxic masculinity when men are just doing what men do, lifting heavy objects and putting stop to, to violent action. If, and, and that's like, how is that toxic if I'm just doing what I'm fucking biologically built to do? Excuse me. Um, so I wanted to talk about that, where it's like, that is this epidisgenics agenda here where they're just um, kind of shaming men for being men and doing what men do? And this isn't supposed to be taken in a misogynistic uh, way or a patriarchal way. This is not the type of language that I'm using or the type of type of attitude that I'm trying to give off me, James Cordner, not trying to give off a misogynistic patriarchal type of attitude, but we are men. We're supposed to do manly things. And part of that is defending those who cannot defend themselves or choose not to, and to defend ourselves. And it's not fucking toxic masculinity to do so. So stop it. <laughs> if you're <laughs> so, so it's like, right. Um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of come across my, you know, it's been on my mind lately and it's part of my, part of the research that I'm doing. So, uh, about breeding out the rebel, breeding out, uh, masculinity and making it. So, uh, we kind of have to expose this for what it is, you know, that submissive traits and men are being brought up and put forward as the good thing that this is what a good man is one that is timid and meek and doesn't adore, stand up for yeah adore thank you yeah. yes yeah. um so yeah i mean up to and including uh killing so why did you use that language why did you use the word kill well we have to distinguish the difference between murder and killing and yeah, I wanted to kind of clarify that as well. I'm not advocating for people to just go start off every thug or every, you know, person who's committing acts of violence. I'm just letting you know that you need to have that in your mind, that you need to have that kind of resolve, that you know that it may come 
down to that. And if you don't exercise those in your mind, then you don't exercise them in the physical because it always starts in the mind. And if you do that, then you're putting yourself, your family, the people that you love at jeopardy because then you're not willing to do what may be necessary in certain situations. And we always know that some of the greatest defenders of freedom, of family, of love, have been people who are willing to do what most people will not do, you know, and that's kind of what we're doing here today. Uh, but to talk about the toxic alinity and breeding out the rebel as well. Um, yeah, I, there's toxic behaviors, right? There's toxic behaviors. <clears throat> Those are not masculinity. Those are not masculine in nature. They can be feminine as well. You know, so it's not you uh, applying that term masculine or feminine behind toxicity or toxic it implies that the essence of masculinity or the essence, the totality of femininity is actually toxic. If you say, yeah, that guy over there is doing immoral behaviors because he's stealing or he's, you know, uh, accosting peers of force or something like this, then yeah, okay, yeah, he's a, he's a bad dude, you know, he's an immoral uh, individual and he needs to be dealt with or a female, you know, those solely masculine traits but like you said they're putting that out there as a social engineering program and it comes from these huge think tank institutions that have been around for so long like the tavistock institution if you read into the tavistock institution they have been putting this stuff out there for so so long about trying to divide the sexes right they want to divide the sexes because not only does that divide us energetically but it also divides us physically. And it's the only device that we have that is 50 each side, you know, male and female. So they want to make sure that that is all um, polluted and all distorted and mixed up with each other as much as possible. You know, I told a female friend of mine this the other day. I said, look, Females were put here to do exactly what men cannot do, and men were put here to do exactly what females cannot do. And we need to accept those purposes and those traits and bring them to the table, and we unify, and it makes us stronger as a society when we do that. You know, uh, the old idea that every strong male has a strong female behind them, you know, and this goes back into Thelema. It goes back into Agape. It goes into the idea that love is under will, that the sacred feminine aspect, the heart based care is underneath the action. You know, it's underneath the the wisdom, the manifestation of that positive influence in society, that positive manifestation. So and that's why we started out the female pillar because that's the foundation it's love under will love must come first so it's the heart based consciousness you know so you got to have the heart you got to get your mind in order and then you got to have the guts to put it out there into the world and like you're talking about the epidemics agenda is running rampant to either assimilate rebels they either want to assimilate all the rebels into the political narrative so that they take all that energy and put it into a political you know group think agenda such as let's say the ridiculous january 6th thing you know like that's a great thing like you got this rigid going on it's not authentic rebellion you know it's absolute it's a sham you know it's not real rebellion but they're taking that masculine no. energy and they're and they're pushing it in to directions that fuels the political control agenda, mm -hmm. you know, fuels the new world order. It fuels the dark occultists and their uh, and their entire uh, 
you know, control scheme that they're trying to put out there. So we have to discern what a rebel actually is and what it means to be authentic in rebelling against um, the iniquities and inequities of the world, right? We have to discern what that actually means. And to me, what it means is living in harmony to truth and objective morality, and then applying that into reality. You know, you got, you have to apply it. You can't just have it in your head. You got to put it forward in some way or another. And that's also a form of self-defense. What we're doing right now, James, form of self-defense, this is mental and emotional self-defense, and it's a little bit of physical self-defense, you know, physical force. This takes a lot of work to get done. Putting on a podcast is not easy, you know, being strategic, having the skill sets to be able to publish this stuff, getting a network going. There's all kinds of things that go in with getting a podcast going that you have to physically enact. And that's a form of self-defense. It's a, it's a, it's a form of fighting against the overwhelming, massive, massive, you know, amounts of information that are based on lies and deceit that are, you know, not only over the internet, but also in our own everyday life, in our own social lives with the subliminal influencing, the subliminal use of symbolism, you know, um, the mass media manipulation. So they, they do everything they can. And I get, I get so, <clears throat> I, I get agitated at, at a lot of people because I still know people that watch the news every single day, constantly every single day. And I'm not saying don't keep up with current affairs. You should keep up with current affairs to the best of your ability. You need to know what's going on in the world. But you better have the right mindset to discern what's going on on that hypnosis box, you know? And hypnosis means putting the knowledge, suppressing the knowledge. You know, hypno means underneath and gnosis is knowledge. So you're you're putting knowledge down, you're suppressing it. So and that's what it's all about, you know, making sure there's a power differential between people who have knowledge and people who do not. Right. right. So you don't want people like us to be out there talking about this stuff. So we're called terrorists. We're called agents of chaos. We're called, you know, um, any name that they can of any group association that they can put us in to demonize us. Right. They'll call us cult members. Right. right. So I tell people, OK. If I'm in a cult, it's a cult of freedom and it's a cult of liberty. It's a cult of truth. I'll wear that as a badge of honor. It's better oh, yeah. than being in a cult that will go and initiate violence onto somebody else. You know? <laughs> so, and a true cult is a cult that will actually harm other people because they don't believe in their tenets or their creed or, you know, their, their belief systems, their dogmatic belief systems. So they'll try to force you into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it all comes down to unifying with the alchemical marriage of the sig masculine and sacred feminine principles within us. And if you don't have this equilibrium, right? If you don't have this, then you don't have true intelligence. And that gets us to the middle pillar, the third pillar of Freemasonry, which is called the ionic pillar. And that pillar it has green language in it. Ion, which is a charged particle. So you're charged, you're activated, but it's also the I being on. So you can see the cult mysteries. You see what's taking place in the world. And it's the middle pillar. So this is uh, true intelligence. So you have sacred masculine, which is the intella, which is intellect. Then you have the sacred feminine, which is gents, and that's generative principle. And then you have the middle pillar, which bridges all those, which is the I in the middle. So you have 
true intelligence when you can combine both the masculine intellect and the feminine uh, generative principle of care, you know, and then you put it into the world, you put it out there. And another way you can look at it is from the 13th degree in Freemasonry as well, uh, which is the Royal Arch. So the arch in that tracing board becomes that bridging point. So we bridge both of those like an arc, like a spark from one to the other, you know? So then you got the keystone in the middle that represents the, the, foundation of the the structure because without the keystone then the structure the arch will fall it will collapse so that's the key stone and it's the heart it's based in the heart you know so there's a lot to it you know and i'm not saying that i'm not advocating for the lodge system of freemasonry either i'm talking about esoteric symbolic essence of the tradition of freemasonry beyond the lodge system you know i'm talking about the underlying uh, metaphorical and allegorical knowledge that's stored within the symbolism that predates all the lodge systems and it goes back to ancient Egypt and it goes all around yeah. the world in Kabbalah we have these pillars in Ka the Kabbalistic tradition you know the pillar of mercy and the pillar of um, of serenity I believe it is or the pillar of judgment I think that's what it is um, yeah, it's the pillar of mercy and the pillar of judgment you know and it, it's uh it's just amazing how you can synchronize all this information. You'll find it everywhere. Going back to what I said about martial arts, I learned these things in martial arts. You know, I learned like whenever I'm being accosted with violence that I have to make sure to be able to put this person down and make sure that they're not going to continue to harm me, you know? And that's part of that sacred masculine aspect. And we don't have enough of that. We need more people to be activated. But unfortunately, like you pointed out very wisely, is that people can't distinguish how much force to use. And they get these lines blurred between like, so we have to be very careful because like you said, we need clarity with the ambiguity there. And that's where skills, that's where discernment, that's where training comes into it. You have to do your shadow work. You got to think through all these things. You got to really, you know, put these things into effect and imagine how these scenarios we can do about that. What options you have. People don't use the trivium is what it comes down to. That's you know? right. And, and that's what we need. We need more people using the trivium methodology and the three pillars part of the three pathways. That's what trivium means. Uh, try means three and then via means uh way of or path so the trivium is the way of the three the pathway of three so and that's grammar logic and rhetoric get your grammar yeah. in order process it you know get your logic logically process all that and then put it out into the world through rhetoric you know the output so i mean this all synchronizes and and that's how truth works right it all comes together it fits together as a tapestry you're not fitting together, then you need to figure out why it's not fitting there and see if it's your orientation of how you're looking at it or, you know, is it just a lie? Is it just unuseful? Is it dogma? Right. Yeah. Or or are you missing a few pieces of the puzzle and right. then run it through the trivia method until you find the missing pieces? You know, Absolutely. because that's what you do with information. So a few things that you said that I've got I've jotted down here about the middle pillar and um, about about the what you said about Freemasonry. So it's it's more about just seeing the esoteric correspondences between 
uh, different traditions, right? And and that's a big important aspect to really be able to do is to, to draw the lines and to see the correspondences. That is a part of the trivia method. Of, so the threefold path to knowledge. And what we're trying to do here for people is like to sip. So I hear, uh, I hear Will say, Will Will uh, Keller has has uh, it got got it nailed down to so simplify the profane to help mm-hmm. people understand so the idea is to intellectually arm you so you can defend yourself what like what you said what we're doing here this is action this is a form of self defense it's called intellectual self defense and that's the first <laughs> that's the first battlefield it's, it really is it's the battlefield of the mind. It's a battlefield as much as I dislike Alex Jones, that motherfucker. He got the perfect <laughs> name for a show, an information war. Yep. It really is. It's an information war. If they can get into your head, they can fucking convince you to do anything. This is a problem that I have with the public school system is they're creating a bunch mm-hmm. of mindless dupes to go out there and fill all these boxes that they create. You know, it's a it's a. You know, how free are you if all you're let? So you're free to move about in this room. That's the world we live in, folks. We are free to move around in this room. I don't want to be in that room. I want to be able to roam free uh, fully, unbridled freedom. That's what I want. And this is how we get there. It starts by being able to intellectually defend yourself, using words properly, knowing when you're being lied to, knowing how to find the truth. Brandon brought it up perfectly. Thank you for bringing that up tonight on the show because that's a very important part that people fail to understand is how to find the truth, how to know when you're being lied to. There's a method. It's called the trivium. It's a threefold path to, to knowledge, to being able to unpack information and being able to see what sticks, drawing logical conclusions and finding the truth to any topic that you choose. You just need to gather as much information about the topic. Then you weed out inconsistencies. And whatever's left over, well, that could be the truth. The work might not be done yet. But that's the part about weeding out the inconsistencies and getting rid of the redundancies of the information. And whatever's left over, that's the truth of the matter. It's a big part of it, man, because... That has to do with when you're supposed to respond with defensive force, knowing the truth about a violation of, of your rights. So that is when you're going to, to have to respond with a defensive force. You know, and I, so the, the, the middle pillar there, that was the so I teased it in the in the in the uh, in the description for the show. That's the hidden pillar. There is that middle one. You know, it's a it's the part where they work together, right? Am I am I understanding that correctly, Brandon? Yeah, I call it the pillar of equilibrium. That's what I called it in my fake ass punks uh, presentation. Um, and yeah, it's the unifying pillar, right? It's the it's the unifying ourselves. So like. If you think about it in the Kundalini uh, way, you have serpents that coil around the shaft, you know, and and that center shaft, that channel, it's the direct channel where the two serpents are the the sacred masculine and sacred feminine, and that middle represents the stability of those two. It represents the the solidarity of the relationship between those two, 
And we see this all over the place. So when we fall into an imbalance right whether it's a chronic right left brain let's say like the new age community they'll fall into the chronic right brain imbalance of passivity you know uh, being passive completely passive and um and from their defense if you fall into the complete left brain imbalance you're going to fall into you know complete dominance and progression and you'll go into things like you know uh solipsism solipsism on both sides of the chronic imbalance you can be solipsistic on the right side or solipsistic on the left so order following right order following happens to be a very um receptive place meaning that you take an order and then you go and do it so it's a right brain imbalance but when they go out into the world and commit the order it's a left brain imbalance so we have to understand how these things kind of mix up a little bit so you might have a primary brain imbalance being i'm primarily right brain because i'm a hedonist right because i just want to seek out pleasure in my life that's the whole purpose of life is pleasure um and that would be a primary brain imbalance Whereas a primary left brain imbalance could be like a scientist, you know, just linear thinking, just logic, you know, no emotions, no care, no creativity, you know, just strict, rigid skepticism as well, you know, no open mindedness, right? So these things tend to play off of each other and the ruling class, the dark occult, they know this and all they need is to get a few people like this and it spread wildfire because everybody starts to infect everybody else in the group you know group they, this is the thing i always try to tell people too because group groups are easier to control than an individual you know so it's much easier to control the group just by by injecting certain types of ideas into the group through certain applications, maybe a spokesman or something like that. Um, and then the group takes off with it. But an individual as a sovereign, you know, an internal monarch, a person who knows himself, who's self-actualized, you're not going to control that person. You know, he's not going to fall for a group thing. So the dark occult don't target individual people for the most part. They target groups of people. They target groups of group consciousness and that's how they sway the tides in the, in the politics so we see this with the right and the left divide which is ultimately an illusion it's a hegelian dialectical illusion where it leads you into the same the same uh doorway the same slaughterhouse right and they play off of these so if you if you happen to be right more you know you're gonna have that right imbalance right or that left you're on the you're in that left imbalance at some level and they reverse it too so sometimes if you're on the left you might be in the right if you're on the right you might be in the left so it, it's just you gotta stay oriented and that's where things can get complex so that's why i like what you just talked about taking and simplifying it right so that's what we're trying to do we're trying to simplify all this stuff but we do also have to recognize that we're going to come up against scholars we're going to come up again and they're going to try to shred us you know they're through every theological you know uh, philosophical debate and it's not real philosophy but that they they can pick apart every little nuance that we may have overlooked or something like this and then they'll say well then there you go your whole argument is shattered then because of the one little thing it's called the fallacy fallacy let's say for example let's say i made a fallacy in my let's say i i spoke a fallacy in in an argument or something like that well then the other person in the debate they would say, oh, that's a fallacy. You use the fallacy, so your entire premise is completely destroyed. And it's like, no, 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 that's called the fallacy fallacy, meaning that you can't just use that. 
It doesn't dismantle anything that actually was true. It just means I messed up there, you know, and uh, and I see that a lot. We see this when it comes to words a lot. A lot of people say using the original definitions of the words is called an etymological fallacy. And I'll be talking about that in my upcoming presentation but it's complete it's complete bullshit because what it does is it makes you disconnect from the the evolution of words and how they evolved and how they were used and their true clarity right because all of our words are a compound of other words from languages usually a lot latin you know a lot of it's latin based and and from that, you get to understand the true clarity of these words. So that's why we end up breaking down words in their original sense, because they make a lot more sense than the words that have been controlled and manipulated and obfuscated, like the word anarchy or the government, you know, uh, to that high degree that people don't understand what they actually mean. And when you break them down, you find out, oh, well, this actually aligns with reality. It actually, you know, this seems way, way more based in truth than what I was taught in school about this or what I hear colloquially about this. So it's interesting, but um, we do have to understand that, you know, this all comes back to the function of the brain, right? It all comes back to how your brain works. And if your brain is working, really, you know, you need those electrical chemical activity. You need the sound synapses working, you need the neurons firing, you need everything going the correct way. And that's what a lot of people don't have. They have a chronic left brain or chronic right brain imbalance, which leads them into being easily controlled because they've never worked on their own psychology. They've never worked on themselves. And that's why we need true self-respect. So like the community that I came from tends to be really right-brained, you know, like the punk community. They get into nihilism. They get into hedonism. They get into just do whatever, do whatever you want. And they think they're actually rebelling, which wraps us back around to what true rebel rebellion is. You got to realize that hedonism is a tool used by the ruling class to make sure that you stay docile, to make sure that you don't self-activate. Right. So you don't get out in the world. You know, I'm not saying don't have fun. You know, I'm not saying that pleasure is a bad thing. I'm saying the chronic abuse of that, thinking that that's the sole purpose of your existence to be here. That freedom really doesn't matter. It's secondary to my sole pleasure of, you know, just getting off every day and drinking every single day myself into a coma, right? Um, or or smoking myself. Yeah, that's satanic, that kind of mindset. Absolutely. It's completely Oh, no, you're fine. I, I, I like the, you know, rapport that we have going on here. Um, so, yeah, and, and that's one of the biggest issues that I see in that community is that all they really care about is themselves. Like you said, it's satanic. It's the first tenet of Satanism, which is selfishness, me above anything else. And then what they want is just freedom for themselves. They don't really care if you, you know. They're just like, freedom for me, that's it, you know, just me. And you see them buying into a lot of the leftist ideas with, you know, Antifa and all this stuff and the fake-ass um, uh, punk community and, and fake-ass anarchist community, obviously, is what I was trying to say there. These all tie into these basic concepts, these basic philosophical concepts. And we need to strengthen our argumentation because, like I said, we're going to run to scholars, we're going to run into religious zealots that are theologists, and we have to be able to tell them, you know, um, you know, the these simplified principles, and for them to understand them. Yeah, 
that's a that that's a, a strong point to hit on and i know that um i know that douglas has has uh really tried to uh instill into people the importance of speaking and presenting this information in a scholarly manner that if we desire to be taken seriously and to be heard then we're going like you're saying you're we're going to come up against what our opposition can provide as their intellectual uh intellectual people to go to bat for them and the things that they want uh so we have to be able to step up to the plate and fight that kind of fire with a with a fire of our own and that takes serious dedication to being uh able to present this material in a i guess in a in a manner in which isn't offensive in a manner in which that can be taken seriously where we're yes i i like to speak with parhesia i like to cuss but there comes a time when that kind of when, when that kind of righteous indignation has to come out and there's no better way to say it than I need to fucking say it this way. And you're going <laughs> to fucking listen to me, but right. we also have to be able to dial that back and to be able to speak to people in a, in a language that isn't going to turn them away because it make them, that isn't going to give off the impression that we are just some potty mouthed, uh little know nothing right that's just a cry baby like you're talking about the fake ass rebels on the J january 6th those weren't rebels like you said those were cry babies that didn't get the their way they didn't get their slave master so they gotta go and do what they did you know and that's not a true that's not an insurrection that's not a rebellion yeah. That's no, a that's a bunch of that's a bunch of wet diapered little babies that didn't get their fucking pudding <laughs> And it, it's really what it comes down to. And, you know, here I am talking about speaking in a, speaking <laughs> in a certain way. And, and like, right, like right. you know, this is, we're just, we're just a couple of guys, you know, having a good time tonight, but I wanted to make sure that we brought that up. And yeah, it's interesting that you talked about etymology of words and trying to stray away from the modern dictionary, because guess what folks out there, Merriam Webster dictionary is bought and paid for by the council of foreign relations. Mm -hmm. This is a round table group much like the trilateral commission much like the tavistock institute for ideas the council on foreign relations is literally set up to make sure that the that there are ideas being implanted into your brains prescribed belief systems being handed down from on high to make sure that you are operating as the slave that they intend you to intended to make you to be so we have to understand that that these institutions such as dictionaries school systems these things are bought and paid for they're in these slave perceived slave master or, or controllers they're in their back pockets so it is important that we do go and get uh ourselves like etymology dictionaries or even the Oxford English Dictionary, maybe try to find older versions of them if, if you can and, and take it seriously because, you know, it, <laughs> the definition of anarchy is very inaccurate in, in most, if not all, modern-day uh, dictionaries. And a lot of words are very inaccurate. So this is how they get to um, manipulate reality is by obfuscating words. And, you know, I'd like to, you know, remind people of that as we're going forward with with 
just kind of trying to educate ourselves because so, education is just, well, we look at, uh, I might have some of this incorrect, but, and I'm willing to take the hit, but education is just basically leading someone to the truth, leading out of darkness. The word educate, I believe etymologically means to lead out of darkness. Um, it, it, are you familiar with the etymological definition of the word education? Or, uh, uh, yeah, that's correct. That is what it means. Okay. As far yeah. as what I know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. Swish. Yep. <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to Douglas there because it like hearing him say that inspired me to step up my game and, mm -hmm. you know, I still cuss and that's, that's fine. It's good to, it's good to speak with a loose tongue and to be able to show emotion, but you also have to be able to, you know, really show them what you got and, to, you know, show them, show them how it's done. And, right. Uh, I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm on my way. You better believe it. And None of us so, are. None of us are so perfect that we haven't, you know, that we don't need to work on ourselves at some level. You know? But that's why we have a network. That's why we that's have. Right. That's why we have a network, so we can, so we can lift each other up and be there for one another. When one of our brothers is falling, we can help them out and carry them for a while until they're ready to carry themselves the rest of the way. And that's why, you know, it's important. I want to tell people out there that are creating content and everything. If you're feeling burnt out, step away because there's us that are here to carry the torch while you're gone. And when, it, when you're ready to come back, we'll be here. We'll, we'll like, like you never left. Um, something else that you talked about was the holistic understanding of the self. Um, I believe that that is very important uh, to be able to understand the kind of chemical wedding that goes on in the brain. You've been talking about left brain and right brain and, and how if you're chronically dominant in one half, then the other half is lacking, of course, you know, because you're chronically dominant in one half, um, you're going to be lacking in the other. But what we need to be able to do is find a, is find a, a balance there. Um, so there is a word for that and it's escaping me. It was just on the tip of my tongue, but it's, um, well, it's, <sighs> it was just on the tip of my tongue. Um, but, uh, it, it is, oh man, I had it. Uh, <laughs> I really want to get up. Yeah, I, really, I have a slide with it on it for Christ's oh, sake. Right, right. I really wanted to get this right. Let's see here. It is called hemisync. We want to have hemisync. Right. Yeah, uh, the so hemisphere syncing. Yeah, exactly. So we have, yep. you know, that is that is what we want to be able to do. Uh, do you have any uh, advice on how people can kind of get there? Because um, it's something that that uh, I think would be pertinent to this conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's very pertinent. Um, I would say, first of all, look at your strengths, you know, look at what you normally do every single day. Is it a masculine? Is it a left brain attribute? Are you very scientific? Are you very, you know, linear thinking? Uh, are you less compassionate? Then look at the opposite, right? See where your weaknesses are from that. Say, okay, I'm not very empathetic. I'm not very compassionate. I don't feel a lot of emotions. I've, you know, put myself in this condition where I'm not expressing my whole self. I'm not expressing my anima. You know, I'm not expressing my sacred feminine principle. So 
from there, then you start to work on those things, just like you would work on anything else, you know, just like you'd work on any weakness. If you, if you're a, a skinny guy and you got to work on muscles, you know, you find out your weaknesses and then you work through that. You work on those muscle groups and you try to, you know, strengthen those areas, you know? So I would say just find those weaknesses, but you got to know what they are and the way that you can know what they are is by knowing what the opposite is, you know? So you got to know who you are at this moment and you can't lie to yourself. You have to be honest to yourself about this, right? You have to say to yourself, who am I really? And look in the mirror and be honest about it. And then start to say, who do I want to be? You know, who, who do I need to be? You know, it's not even just want to be because want can be very subjective. Who do I need to be to be a good person, to be a better person, to activate my entire self, to to fulfill my potential here, to be able to do the things that I need to do and to get the things that I say I want in reality. And usually it's through working. Obviously, it's always through working on those weaknesses. So like for me, I, for a time period, I was very right brain. So I had to work on my scholarly skills. I had to work on my reading. I had to work on, you know, getting in tune with my masculine aspects, you know, becoming less fearful of speaking in public, you know, getting out, uh, not being an introvert, starting to be more of a mitrovert is what I call it, you know, activating both sides of that extrovert and introvert at the same time. And uh, having that alchemical union between those two, those two principles within us. So, you know, like if you fall into a right brain uh, modality of thinking. If you're all in the feminine, then you're going to be enslaved. Think is what it's called. You're going to be completely submissive to authoritative figures and authoritative ideas. And if you fall into the left brain attribute and to chronic left brain, um, you know, imbalance, then you're going to be a master thinker. You're going to think that you uh, can uh, legitimately dominate other people. And that's how this dynamic works. You know, it's just like an abusive relationship. It's the abusive relationship we have with ourselves. It's the abusive relationship we have with other people and our families and our friends and our circles, abusive relationship that we have in society and abusive, abusive relationship with government obviously it's the same thing it's just multiplied you know so i think it's really important that people try to you know write it down also write everything down write down what you want to do you know and then start to make a checklist and start to go out and do that stuff you know if you want to become a content creator learn the skills that you have to have to be a content creator and don't worry about being perfect with it you know you start out at the level that you need to start out at and then you work your way up. You know, you work your way through that. Nobody is perfect. I'm not perfect with it. You're not perfect with it. Mark Passio is not perfect with it. Douglas Martin's not perfect with it. We all make mistakes here and there. You know, we might misspeak here and there. We might uh, mistype something. There might be a typo, you know, maybe multiple typos, things like that happen. But you just got to put it out there. You just got to continue to do that and persevere. And then you'll get better at it, just like any other skill. But people are scared. So you have to face your fear. You know, you got to get out of the fear-based consciousness and you got to love yourself to do that. You have to truly love yourself enough to say, I want to be better. I want to change my behaviors. I want to be a good person. You are mutable. You know, you can change. You're malleable. You can change yourself. So let's say you were a bad person at one time. Well, the good thing is, is that you can change it. You can change all that. You know, you can, um, you can work on yourself and become a good person. 
you're not predetermined to be that bad person your entire life. So work on it. You know, if you have a conscience and you realize that you're doing bad things, stop doing the bad things, you know, maybe seek forgiveness, forgive yourself, you know, um, apologize to yourself, apologize to others. So you just got to you just got to continue to work with yourself, um, work on your shadow self, understand the dark psychology that you have that you have going on within yourself, you know, um, triune is a big, big aspect. So. Yeah. Uh, during that self auditing that people might have to go and do, honestly, you guys out there, you know, anyone out there listening and they're like, wow, I'm going to go and try to do that. You might come to the conclusion that a lot of the things that you that you found within yourself, like the things that made you maybe have the self-loathing tendencies or, you know, the the all these ideas, they weren't originally yours. They were put there. And this is how this fake control structure. I mean, well, it's very real, but it's not legitimate. This is how they get you is by implanting these ideas to get you into this self-loathing behavior when you're going down the path of self-auditing i want to tell people out there how rough it can really be because you're literally um you're going to be going against your own self there's a part of yourself and we talked about it earlier tonight about how the ego can be good but this is how the ego can be bad because it's going to trick you into thinking that there's nothing wrong with you when there could be when you're not loving yourself you know, you're not really able to give that out to anyone else. And that's a problem because if you have a family and you have this fake care when <laughs> you're really only looking at people for what they can give you, you know, you're absolutely just stuck in the me first uh, mentality of Satanism. And, um, you know, that needs to be broken, it needs to be. It really does. And this is where you're battling against your own ego. That part of you that wants to preserve, you know, where it can be a good thing. Self-preservation in some forms is a good thing when you're coming up against, you know, when when you're the flight or fight uh, uh, response, you know, you're going to stand there and fight. Well, one of the ways one of the ways of self-defense is also to run away. But um, when your self-preservation is there to the point where like you're protecting your self-preservation is protecting uh bad behavior that's when that's when it becomes a problem so uh that's what they want you to do they want you to be able they, they you know the big they you know the the, the control <laughs> structure you know they, who's they uh, well it's the dark fucking occultists that run the world <laughs> straight up um and they want you to be self-loathing they want you to hate yourself and we don't want that. I don't want people to hate themselves. I, I, I think that that's a terrible place to be. I've been there. Yeah, it, me too. A, it, it's a very terrible place to be. It almost seems endless. You yeah. know, it's like it's some sort of divine intervention. I mentioned it uh, a couple of weeks, uh, I think last week about divine intervention. You know, it can be synchronicity, nature's wink, however mm -hmm. you want to call it. You know, there's moments in everybody's life where I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. There's moments in everybody's life where where nature, where God, however, you know, the, the, the source of creation, however you want to refer to it, it's cool with me. But there's times in everybody's life where that energy gives you an opportunity to change. It comes in and it's 
giving you an opportunity to change. And I want to inspire people to be able to recognize that. And this is what Brandon and I have been talking about all night is how certain principles can be applied to grow the, the self within and to be able to uh, shine that light back out into the world and to make it so that other people can see that light as well. You know, and I really just want to inspire people to be able to see those winks, to be able to see that divine intervention, to be able to change because it's not going to happen. And we're not going to see a great change in the world until each individual starts changing their own behaviors and getting real with your shortcomings. I mean, it's okay to have them, but like get real with them, you know, and that's when it's like, there's no shame in asking for help. If you're having a shortcoming, that's why I wanted to make sure that I mentioned like, if you're a content creator or if you're doing the great work or whatever, I mean, it's constant, you know, it's a constant effort to do the great work. And it's a very, uh, that's why it's called the great work, not the mediocre work. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, so it's like, you know, it's very, very tiresome yeah. and it takes a very strong constitution in, in there of, of the self, you know, inner constitution of each individual to do. But, it, you know, it's, it's about being able to give yourself a break. Something that you were saying, Brandon, is be able to give yourself a break on, on some of the things that you meet within yourself and that you might not like at first. You gotta, gotta get real. Stop lying, you know. Stop lying to yourself, and it, it's about healing yourself. That's right. And to be able to heal yourself is the first step in being able to heal the world. That's right. Um, and you know, I, I just, I don't know. I hope everything that that I'm doing is at least helping some people <laughs> do that. You know, like yeah, I, so I too. had to do, I had to do it myself. And then when I did it, I was like, God. I, I can't, man, I'm seeing all this crazy, wacky shit going on in the world. I can't just keep quiet about it. If I understand some of this stuff, I got to share my understanding with it, with the rest of the world. And, and, uh, and, you know, see if there's others out there that can, that can help. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've taken multiple breaks, you know, I just recently got off a hiatus, you know, from doing the work and it was really nice because then all of a sudden I saw people like you popping up and I was like, Oh, this is great. And it was just like what you were, uh, you were, you know, I know, <laughs> um, but it was just like what you were explaining, you know, your brothers in arms or your brothers in your community, your sisters, your brothers, your family, whoever it might be. It doesn't have to be blood family, friends, you know, um, they will help to carry that torch. They will help to carry you. They will help to carry that torch. So it was so great because when I first started doing this, I was looking around. It was like being in a desert, you know, it was like it was a desert and there was nobody there. And then, you know, every once in a while I'd get a glimpse of something and it was like, you know, oh, maybe that's somebody who's on the same level as me. If they're on the level, you know, like I can see them. So I walk over there and then I realize it's just a mirage, you know, and it's like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> it's like, what the what the fuck, man? But uh, now I'm like looking around. It's like a little oasis. I'm like, oh, wow. You know, and it's still not enough. I'm not saying we got enough. We need numbers on our side. But this is how we get through to people, you know, and we have to be strategic in it. And most people like you're talking about are stuck in some type of self-loathing, 
you know, apathy, uh, depression, you know, many, many different psychological issues. You're, it's not going to be perfect. You're not just going to magically uh, not be depressed out of nowhere, just, you know, magically. You got to work yeah. on that, you know, and it might come back up. It's something you have to exercise. You have to exercise self-care, you know, so don't beat yourself down because it comes back up. Just know that you have the skills now to deal with that if you rest in yourself and you can actually mitigate those emotions as they come up and you can start to work through those things over time. It's going to diminish. It's going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And one way of doing that is by having true self-respect. You know, you have to really gain true self-respect. And I mean, I went through endless nights of great depression, you know, just staring at the dark ceiling, just, you know. Yeah, self, you know, wanting to kill myself, you know, just all kinds of great, great aspects of depression and and just horrible. I don't mean great in a positive sense. I just mean massive, you know, just horrible, horrible suffering I went through. And then through that process, I finally said, man, I got to change, you know, like I'm going to go down such a dark path. And most people like they either get right to the edge of that or not. They get to there and then they don't act on it you know then they go if they do act on it they go to pharmaceuticals right they go to some sort of uh, uh, psychiatric treatment right rather than the knowledge of the esoteric ways of dealing with your psychology or the knowledge of nature being able to heal yourself and getting plant remedies if possible to help with those things look into alternative methods first before you go down the control system obviously i would say don't even go down it you're probably better off in that state of depression than you are going down the state of using these uh, pharmaceuticals to actually mitigate these issues. You know, I'm not saying that's an absolute, but that's my opinion on that. You know, I think most people would be better off just dealing with the depression on their own, you know, and I know that's probably kind of cold, but I mean, I, I, I don't want to see people go through the type of brain damage and the brain imbalances that go on because of those types of pharmaceuticals. And we know who runs the pharmaceutical companies. We know that it's intentionally being done to, like you said earlier, breed out rebellion, to make people docile, to cause brain damage, you know? And why is that? Because it makes very, very good slaves, very productive slaves. If you can get just the right dose for people, just make them into drones, make them into mindless workers, for the system. And that's what our education system does. You know, our entire education system was set up to just pump out workers. That's all it was set up for. It's yep. not really there to educate people. You know, it was just set up to make you a worker. Yep. The and Prussian we, education, uh, Prussian education model coming right. out of Germany is literally what, what happened is, is that um, the Germany used to be called Prussia and mm -hmm. When they came up against in the Napoleonic Wars, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, his his crusade all, uh, all over Europe, uh, he came across these farmers with pitchforks and he had a well-trained army against an army of just basic people. And the <laughs> Prussians were like, uh, we can't keep these guys on the battlefield. They're just running away. What do we do? And they set up this education model where like they would just pump out people that would either go into working into factories or they'd be going into the military. And how do you do that? You make them docile order following little slaves. You teach them uh, what to think and not how to think. And That's we right. adopted that method in this country. 
like 200 years ago. Yep. That's it started. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's uh, disgusting, quite frankly, if people want more information about that. They can go and look into Murray Rothbard's um, uh, work. He did a fantastic book called uh, now it's escaping me, but go and find it. It's, it's uh, education by coercion. Uh, it's some, something along those lines. I actually did a, I did a small reading of that uh, on, on the air couple of years ago so it's it's a fantastic read and it's a nice well-rounded uh view on how the education in america education system in america came to be um yeah and i really liked what you said about about care because that's where it really really all starts you gotta care you gotta actually care you know and about the whole uh you know pharmaceutical uh, uh, point that you made. It, it's a, it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a topic of much contention and it's very, very difficult for people to hear what you just said and to, and to not just be like, this guy, fucking, what does he know? You know what I mean? Like, of course right. we're going to go take the pills. Listen to this guy <laughs> telling me not to take the pills. What does he know? Well, the yeah. idea is, is that, um, we're trying to get back to nature here. Yeah. We're trying to get back to that. And there are natural remedies out there for the, for the ailment that people are feeling. And one of the things I guess I'd like to point out is how the support structure is so important, you know, and if you can't find the support structure from people, right. From people, if you can't find it within the people that are initially responsible for providing such a thing, which is your family, if they've abandoned you on that, you have every right to go and find your own tribe. There are people out there that want what's best for you, and they are not the government. They're not the pharmaceutical industry. They're actual people that know how to, you know, help. You know, I think that there is, uh, there are a few cases where maybe some pharmaceutical intervention is completely necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I don't want to, I really don't want to tell people that there's never a time or place, but I, I do want to remind people of the addictive nature of a lot of these drugs and how a lot of the drugs are actually not really helping you. They're just creating another problem to get you on another drug to hook you for life. And, uh, a lot of your issues that are causing such depression, it might even be caused uh, it might be the cause of it might be that um, you are living in an unnatural setting and all it really need, all you really need to do. And it over time, you have to consistently do this work is just kind of get back to nature yourself. Go out in the fucking woods, get some peace and quiet, put yeah. down your phone, get off the computer, maybe find a new job. This is about the sacrifice, you know, the sacrifice aspect of taking your health into your own hands you got to sacrifice some things go and do it is your life really worth it you got to ask yourself that question people is your life really worth it and i think that most most people will come out the other end of that question with a firm no <laughs> and i hope that they do otherwise what are we really doing you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know but um you have an upcoming presentation let's talk about that man that's why earlier in the evening I brought up the funnel conference. It was a good way to bring you in and into the show and to 
kind of get people interested in what you've got coming up and what's in the future for Brandon Martin. Um, what is your presentation going to be about? Uh, it's actually going to be on green language and it's going to be covering uh, synchronicity, synchromysticism, philology, which is like the study and the evolution of literature and language and phonetics and symbolism and things along this nature. It's going to be a condensed version that I hope to expand upon on the Cubbyhole podcast in the future. Um, and it's going to be a real, you know, really good presentation for anybody who's interested in the occult knowledge and the esoteric knowledge of uh, the secret synchronistic ways that we find meaning in words be beyond their intentional meanings that are applied to them through phonetics and, you know, a lot, lots of different aspects that apply to this. So I'm really excited. I don't want to spoil anything with it, obviously, because I've been working on it pretty hard. And I know that Nathan, um, the main host of the Cubbyhole podcast that I co-host sometimes, um, he just did a really great episode on green language, which is going to complement my entire presentation. I'm going to get into a lot of historical facts with it. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, I'm going to show exactly you know, all these connections that a lot of people don't know about. So they, you know, you just, you can't find a lot of information on green language. Usually it's just kind of spoken about in the occult groups and the esoteric groups a little bit here and there. And you'll hear people talk about it as the language of the birds or twilight language or the language of light and things like this. Um, but nobody's really like laid down a conclusive, you know, uh, example or explanation of what it is, how it works, how you can use it in your own life, how to make it practical, you know, how to bring the pragmatism into it. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to try to show how it's based upon more of a science than what a lot of people would think. And it's not just wordplay, you know, it's not just you're just having fun with, fun with words and you can just make it up as you go, you know, that there actually is a scientific way that you can break down these words and look into it and find a deeper meaning that helps to expand your consciousness and helps to progress your goal in your life and helps the all in in the holistic sense you know <clears throat> and why that is taking place as well so it's a really big topic and i'm going to do the best i can to cover everything in there but i think everybody's really going to enjoy it i've been enjoying putting it together i know that so i'm excited for it i can tell you you know i i I listen to your content and like, it's always, and a lot of us do it. You know, we, we do choose certain words to like constantly break down and remind people, you know, it doesn't just mean what you think it means. You know, there's other angles, other, other ways to look at this and the look at this language, you know, uh, the English language is, is, is really from what I've heard, like the hardest language to learn as a second language, you know, and, it's it's a fascinating language dude i can't wait for your presentation about that man you know um so you have you mentioned the cubby hole podcast uh, and you know we're winding we're winding down here uh so i want to make sure that we can uh tell people where to find all of your stuff and uh but before we do is there any other like hard hitting information about the topic that we chose to cover tonight that you absolutely wanted to make sure we got in there. If we've left anything out, please, by all means, um, let's make sure we don't leave uh, any 
really important stuff out. <laughs> well, I mean, you could cover this topic for, you know, probably 50, 100 episodes, obviously, and still not get yeah. through to everything, especially <laughs> if you really get into the esoteric knowledge of it. That's kind of why I brought up Freemasonry earlier and yep. the Kabbalistic tradition, because if you start to connect these things into the ancient mystery schools and the ancient schools of thought, then you'll really start to pull out and especially study polarity, study mythology with polarity, you'll find out that one of the most ancient mythological motifs for this will be like the dragon or serpent myth. And you'll find out that it represented certain time periods in the seasons, such as drought or luscious rainfall. And um, so, you know, the dragon is a really interesting symbol. I'll just add this in there. It's not really quite as relevant as what I was just speaking on, but yeah, it actually has all the five elements in it, right? Because you got the scales, which is the water. You got the wings, which is the air. You got the breath of fire, which is fire. Then you got the claws, which is earth. And then if you have, if you put all those together, it's the quintessence. It's the fifth element combined. So a dragon represents the alchemical five elements. You know, it represents the upward facing uh, pentagram, right? So the the star of sovereignty, right? And um, or you could use the quintessence essence as the dragon rider the person who rides the dragon who is a cooperative agent of those elemental powers in nature because if you're bold great aid will come great powers will come to your aid you know that's the that's the main thing that i wanted to say is that if you're bold and you get out there and you do this you will have universal aid behind you the universe will come in and provide you with the things that you need, if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to see those things, and if you're willing to put those things into action. So I think that's really important. So try it out for yourself, obviously, right? See what works, you know, apply this in your own life, think through it and apply it and see what works for you as well. Because, you know, not every path of self-recovery is going to be the same because we all don't suffer from the same things. So to cure psychopathologies, you know, you really got to have a an opportunistic mindset. You got to look at all the opportunities that you have. You got to look at all your tools to, to really figure out which ones are working for you, you know? So I think that's really important to understand as well. It's not just a linear path for everybody to just be like, Oh, you know, I have found self-love. Well, you know, now what do I do? Or did I actually even find self-love? It's like, well, you got to figure out what's going to work for you to get you into that proper, healthy mindset of homeostasis with your body, with your mind and with nature. So I think that's really important to understand. Yep, it is. It takes, it takes time. And I think that's, uh, uh, it's where many people fall off the path is they don't give themselves the time to 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 go to do the journey you know they don't give yep. themselves enough time they, they see and this is i know i keep bringing this type of stuff up but this is another way that the dark occult controlling class you know the ruling class this is the kind of mode of thinking that they want you in that's everything is you know very delivered to you very very quickly in their world the artificial world everything is delivered extremely quick and that puts you in this kind of uh way of expe expect uh, expecting results quickly with everything and the results of what we're talking about are not quick you have to give yourself time 
and it has an extreme amount of patience for yourself and with yourself is required to be doing this work. And, um, you know, I, I really hope that we get to talk again sometime, Brandon. I, I really do because, uh, you brought out a lot of, uh, you brought out a lot of good information. Uh, you, you helped extremely, uh, a lot with this conversation tonight, man. I really appreciate your time and all the effort that you put into doing the great work. Um, you've for sure inspired me. And, uh, you know, I want to say it to your face about the seed conference that you put on last year, um, is showed me straight up that a, an online conference could be pulled off and, and the manner in which you guys chose to do it was fantastic and brilliant. And um, I drew a lot of inspiration from that when it comes to doing the online conference that uh, Joe Murray and I are, are, are organizing. In fact, uh, when we wore, when, when we started organizing it, we were toying with the idea of actually doing it in person. We had to come to the, you know, we had to come to the, uh, the conclusion, of course, that it would be very, very expensive to do so. And one of the first things I said was, well, Brandon Martin and the guys over at Seed did it online. We can do it online. We just have to figure out how. And, you know, we, we have. So thank you very much, man, for all the hard work that you've been doing and uh, that you continue to do because you're, you're really good at it. And it's it's awesome. Yeah, thank so. you for that compliment. Absolutely. And that's what the seed conference is for. You know, I was hoping that it would take off like a like a brush fire. You know, I hoped everybody would start doing it. And that seems to be the case. Uh, yeah, it's really expensive to put on physical events. And uh, so I hope to get back to that one day. Um, I'm definitely kind of, you know, dancing around that idea because I definitely want to get people in person. That's so important to get people in person. Uh, but for now, yeah, we're going to continue to do the online events and uh, seed seed five will be coming out May of next year. So I am in organization of that. I, I am in preparation for that. Uh, we're calling it uh, fluorescence. So we're kind of adding some symbolism there because, you know, it's all about planting seeds of truth, you know, and it takes right. time for that to develop. It takes time for it to actually come to uh, full, you know, fruition and, and to actually get your harvest from that. So uh, like you talked about, you have to be patient with everything that you do and have the diligence to continue to persevere through any kind of issues. Like with this podcast today, I had some internet issues. My camera was freezing off and on, but you just got to keep going through it. You know, you just got to keep pushing through it and yeah. not allow that to knock you down. You know, you don't allow it to upset you. You just do what you can, you work with it and you keep moving forward. And that's how it's been with the conference. That's how it's been with the cubby hole. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can find my work for anybody who's interested. You can go to seedtruth.com. Uh, you can also find it at uh, the Cubbyhole website. Uh, that's cubbyhole.com, C-U-B-B-Y-W-H-O-L-E.com. And you can also find it on the onegreatworknetwork.com as well. You can find my content on there. So I'll make sure to provide uh, links for all of that. And uh, that way it's just a click away from the show notes for people to go and, and, and find all of that. We'll kind of uh, eternalize it, a little time capsule, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Anyways, dude, it's been a fucking hell of a night, man. Thank you so much. Um, 
And, you know, please, everyone out there, you know, indulge yourself, go over and, and find more of Brandon's work, please. It is fantastic. I really highly suggest that you find the fake ass punks uh, presentation that he gave and really like really pay attention to that. That was a fantastic presentation, man. And it had me going, yeah, I know people like that. <laughs> I know right. people like that, you know, because yeah. like I've, I've, yeah. I've been, I've been skateboarding, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm no good at skateboarding. I'll be, I'll be straight up honest about that. I'm no good, but I can stay on the board. I can do a kickflip. So that's good. That's, <laughs> that's good you enough. Go. You know, <laughs> um, I can drop in on a 10 foot vert. I'm not afraid of that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's okay with me, you know, but I grew up in a, in a, in a little bit of a, of a, punk scene and uh, skate punk scene and everything and and i'll tell you man when i learned when i heard your presentation about fake ass punks i was like i know so many people that are like this and it it kind of made me sad <laughs> right <laughs> but but hey it's yeah. okay um yeah it is it's it's meant to help heal people you know it'll probably piss right. you off at first or make you upset but you know it's there to help people in, in their right. own endeavors so oh yeah and i would love to come back on and talk with you again anytime man just shoot me a message and and we'll get it worked out so yep you you have an open door policy you do uh, as far as i'm concerned i i you know i have i have a lot of friends we're friends now so deal yep. with it and uh, <laughs> uh, you know i have cool a lot of it. friends i tell that you know you got an open door policy come on anytime if you if, you know like i'll make room for you and we can always you know figure out something man so um yeah it's not a problem at all i can't wait till the next time we get to speak um so i'll be looking forward to it anyone out there still listening my name is james cordoner and uh you can go to my website freeyourmindne.com and go to shatteringtheillusion.info uh you know wherever you're watching this you know like it subscribe to it whatever you got to do and and uh you know and help uh spread the word because we all got to help each other in these tough times and uh make sure that you're out there practicing what you preach and doing your best do do the best that you can to learn this stuff and to apply it to your life and uh it's a very hard effort, but it takes strength and wisdom to know the difference between right and wrong and to actually act according. So uh, with that being said, I got nothing left and I love you all and uh, see you next week.